Well, good morning. My name is Matt Miller. Hello, Matt. It's so great to say hi. Today's going to be fun. I want to, I'm not, uh, I don't like to keep things secret or surprises. At the end of service today, we're going to, for those of us who call New City Church home, this is where we come and worship. Today we're going to give our Thanksgiving Day offering, our Thanksgiving offering. We typically would do this around Christmas time. We would call it our greatest gift, but we've moved it to the Thanksgiving season because we actually have a day called Thanksgiving. And so what we've asked our people to do, if you're visiting, not for you, unless you just want to be super generous today, but for those of you who worship here within New City, this is the day that we ask you to give your most generous Thanksgiving offering for the entire year. Not your last gift of the year, but just your greatest gift, because we all know the pool, right? If we're not careful, we'll spend a ton of money at Amazon, at Target, and Walmart, and then, oh yeah, that God thing. And we don't want to do that. We want to put God first. Always, always, always. And so I ask that today, you'd be thinking, if you didn't come in prepared, I, because, because I've been talking about it. We've been talking about it through the blog, through Sunday. And if you just kind of went, la, 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 I don't want to hear it, right? I hope that you will hear today's message. Because today's message is about what Malachi wrote. I would love to tell you that I am so smart that I planned our biggest offering of the year on the same day as I taught on Malachi. Because Malachi is the book that most people go to when they talk about tithing, when they talk about giving. And I want you to think that I'm that smart, so I won't tell you any different, all right? But this is how it fell on our calendar as we're teaching through the Old Testament. And we're concluding our teaching through the Old Testament today with the book of Malachi. I want you to get out your notes, get out your Bible. We're going to be in the book of Malachi. As you do that, when you open up your bulletin, you're also going to see this piece of paper. All right? Don't ignore this piece of paper. This is not trash. This is where you will go today uh, when we drop the chickens. And here's the thing. It's cold. We all know it's cold. right? But we got 750 frozen birds. Don't make... Just a handful of us hand all these out by ourselves, right? You need to determine now it's cold. I don't even think the Chiefs are playing today, all right? They, they, oh, well, who cares about them, right? It's more important. Why are you running my, my story, right? But hey, this is where you will go, right, based on your last name, so pay attention to that. That's 3.30 today. Now, before I get into Malachi, um, I tend to sometimes be very direct, you guys tell me that. Like one day I walked off the stage and this guy goes, wow, Matt, thank you. I really needed that kick in the butt. That's what he said to me. And he walked off and I'm like, man, I was trying to be kind. Like I was like purposely when I wrote that message, I'm like, I'm going to be kind and um, encouraging today. But apparently even when I do that, I kick people in the rear, right? So that's not my heart. Um, maybe it's just my posture and things. But here's what I want you to hear about Malachi. Some of us get to have peace today when I talk about Malachi. Because everything Malachi says, every observation that Malachi makes, you are currently doing these things. But not everybody is doing these things. And so I would ask that as I reveal, from my understanding, the observations that Malachi makes, that you would say, wow, what does that say about me? I'm not going to talk to the collective this morning. I'm going to talk to you. And you're going to have to put it through your filter, not your spouses, not your friends, not your neighborhoods, not your families, but through your filter. Some of us in this room, I want to encourage you. I thought about you when I was writing this message because you're doing all four of these things. All five of them, actually. You're doing all of them. And so, like, you go, wow, what an attitude of gratitude that I have that, God, I am faithful to what you say. And, man, I have peace in my life because of it. But we're not all there. And so we can either be frustrated by the scriptures or we can learn from them. It is my heart that you learn from them. So let's jump right into Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. After this book is recorded, God goes silent for 400 years. And he comes back in the flesh, and it's the Christ. This is what Malachi says, Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. 
He says, I have always loved you. God speaking through Malachi, says the Lord. I have always loved you. But you retort, really? How have you loved us? And the Lord replies, this is how I showed my love for you. I loved your ancestor Jacob, but I rejected his brother Esau and devastated his hill country. I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert for jackals. Jacob and Esau were brothers. And as, as time went on, God, would, God made great promises for Esau, great grand promises for Esau. But as time went on, God rejects Esau and he accepts uh, Jacob. And so I want to give you some covenant language. This is just free. This is kind of learn up stuff this morning. When you hear the words reject and choose, it means something. So in biblical covenant language, it is important to know that love is the same as choose and hate is the same as reject. So when you love God or when God says he loves, that means he, 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 you, you choose him, you, you are a part. When you hate, you reject. So I just kind of give a couple of thoughts here. When you choose God's ways, like when you intentionally choose God's ways, here's what you also do. You reflect love towards God. Like when you are faced with a, an opportunity to sin or not sin, and yet you choose not to sin so that you can choose what God has planned for your life, you can choose obedience over sin, what you do in that moment is way more than just not sin. You also say, God, I love you. I love you more than this thing. But what about the opposite? And this is harder to swallow, but the opposite must also be true. When you reject God's ways, ouch, ready for this? You hate God. Nobody says, oh, man, I don't hate God. See, your sin is way more than just sin. When that moment comes and you're faced with an opportunity to do something that you would agree with is opposite of God's ways, what you are doing when you reject God and go your way is you're saying, based on covenant language, God, in this moment, I hate you. We don't want to be haters of God. Now, you might say, well, Matt, that's Old Testament. I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't feel that way. No, Jesus actually felt the exact same way because the Bible says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like It's like the Old Testament came to life in the person of Jesus. He was the Word, the exact replication of God, who God is. And look what Jesus says in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Not if you love me, pray more. Not if you love me, get a, adopt a Christmas child. Not if you love me, uh, throw an extra 10 on the plate today when we do the Thanksgiving offering. He says, if you love me, then simply obey what I've asked you to do. Period. Because when you choose my ways, you reflect love towards me. Does that make sense? All right, let's continue on. Back to Malachi chapter 1. Esau's, he continues this thought, Esau's descendants in Edom may say. So Esau is Jacob's brother, and now he, there's a whole generation of people that come through Esau. Okay, he says, Esau's descendants in Edom may say, we have been sh uh, shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. But the Lord of heaven's armies replies, they may try to rebuild, but I will demolish them again. The country will be known as the land of wickedness, and their people will be called the people with whom the Lord is forever angry. When you see the destruction for yourselves, you will say, truly the Lord's greatness reaches far beyond Israel's borders. God has chosen the nation of Israel as his people, and we as believers, as the Gentiles that come in the New Testament in the, in the, in the early church, we are grafted into the tree of Israel. We don't replace Israel, we're grafted into that tree with Israel. And God says, listen, you are, you are my people, but not Edom, all of, all of Esau's relatives. But why? He said, man, that doesn't sound fair. You mean God just says, hey, I don't like you people? And there's a part of the world, like we see destruction. Are you guys with me? Like this is very relevant to the culture that we're in today. Some of us, we, we feel the pains of what happens from way back. You say, well, that's just not fair. Why is God against these people? Well, here's why. It's not on your insert, but it's on the screen because there's way too much uh, scripture to put in on a two-page piece of paper. But it's found in Numbers chapter 20, verses 14 through 21. And I want to read to you one reason why God is against 
this people group. Let's read this. Moses, way back, coming out of Egypt. When Moses was in Kadesh, he sent ambassadors to the king of Edom, remember Esau's relatives, with this message. This is what your relatives, the people of Israel, say. You know, uh, you know all the hardships we have been through. Our ancestors went down to Egypt, and we lived there a long time, and, we, and our ancestors were brutally mistreated by the Egyptians. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard us and sent an angel who brought us up out of Egypt. Know the Exodus story. Now we are camped at Kadesh, a town on the border of your land. Hey, our relatives, please let us travel through your land. We will be careful not to go through your fields and vineyards. We won't even drink water from your wells. We will stay on the king's road and never leave it until we have passed through your territory. Last one. But the king of Edom said, stay out of my land or I will meet you with an army. The Israelites answered, we will stay on the main road. If our livestock drink your water, we will pay for it. Just let us pass through your country. That's all we ask. But the king of Edom, Esau's relatives, the generational line replied, stay out. You may not pass through our land. Why has God set himself up against other nations of this world? Because they won't let God be a part of their life. It's not that God's against them. It's that when God's people, uh, the scriptures say, if you set yourself up against Israel, Israel, you set yourself up against me. So here's the thought for this church, right? And it's maybe not so silly question. But will you let God step on your property? It's a very, very great kind of transferable question to think about. Is God's people, is God's ways, is God allowed in your space? Or you're like, no, 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 God, you got to go around. God, don't be bringing your spiritual nonsense into my space, because if you do, like this guy, I'm going to meet you with great force. Or will you be like, no, God, you are totally welcome. Here's my heart's cry for my own personal life and for the life of this church. Not only can you pass through, but you can eat the fruit, you can drink the water, and actually, I would love it if you don't even pass through. Why don't you just stay and stay as long as you want? That's my prayer, is that God is always completely welcome in my personal life and in the life of this ministry, that God is always welcome. That I mean, we're, no, you, no, please don't go around. Uh, Revelations 3, don't stand at the door and knock wanting to come into your place of worship. No, Lord, please come in, dwell with us, enjoy whatever you want to enjoy. You know why? Because it's all yours. It's all yours. Pass through. Do what you want in your life. All right, very personal here. In your life, is a God, does God have the space to step on your space? Have you given God the right anytime he wants to come onto your land, onto your property, into your heart's very core and say, I'm speaking to you? Or do you have built up walls and you've got an army ready to keep the Lord out? The reason I start off with this is because I want to go into four observations that Malachi makes following this opening. And my prayer is that your attitude would be, yes, come on in. Because some things God's going to affirm you and some things God may poke at you. Not me. I'm just going to read the scripture and do my best to interpret it for what it means might, might mean for us. The first observation is this. Malachi observes that the, you give, a, give God a lesser offering. The first observation that Malachi makes is that you give God a lesser offering. The way I might say it to sum it up quickly, and I'll get into the scripture, is God wants the best of you, not the rest of you. God wants the best of you, not the rest of you. Look what he says about this. He says, a son naturally honors his father and a slave rejects his master. So just real quick, if you view God as a good, good father, and we're going to sing that song in a little bit later today, or if you view God as a mean slave master, however you view, Malachi tackles both of those views. He said, a son naturally honors and a slave respects. So however your view of God is, you should honor him or respect him. So he gets rid of our excuses right away. And he says, if I am your father, where is my honor? And if I am your master, where is my respect? 
The Lord who rules over all asks you this, you priest who make light of my name. But you reply, how have we made light of your name? And this is what he says, by treating the table of the Lord as if it is of no importance. For when you offer blind animals as a sacrifice, is that not wrong? And when you offer the lame and sick, is that not wrong as well? Indeed, try offering them to your governor. Will he be pleased with you or show you favor? Favor? You also say, how tiresome it is. You turn up your nose at it, says the Lord who rules over all. And instead, bring what is stolen, lame, or sick. You bring these things up for an offering. Should I accept this from you? Ask the Lord. There will be harsh condemnation for the hypocrite who has a valuable male animal in his flock, but vows and sacrifices something inferior to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord who rules over all, and my name is awesome among the nations. What is he saying? He's saying that when it comes time, like today, where you're going to give an offering that we've been talking about, or any time that you choose to give an offering, you keep the best for yourself, and you might give God leftover. When it comes time to serve in Kid City, or your first impressions, or you're serving in the tech team, that you just kind of wing it. You don't come in prepared. You're not ready. You give God your leftovers. They don't, he doesn't get the best of you. He gets the rest of you. And God says, listen, I'm not okay with this. I'm, I want the, like, here's the thing. God has absolutely zero desire to be second place in your life, even if it's a close second. God desires first place always and forever. He never wants second, third. He definitely doesn't want last. He desires first place. And so here's my question for us. Are you in the habit of giving God the best of you or the rest of you? And if you would say, you know what, if I'm being honest, God typically doesn't get my best. Well, then what are you going to do about it? You get to decide this. You get to fix it. You get to lead into these observations. Oh, Matt, no, listen, it's not Matt's words. It's also in your scripture. Turn to the book of Malachi, go to chapter 1, and read it for yourself. But God wants the best offering that you can bring, not your leftovers. He wants the turkey fresh out of the oven. He wants the big old piece, not the scraps that are left on the bones. You have to fight. You have to fight the fear. You have to fight the fear of, oh, God, if I give, then I won't have. If I, God, if I serve, I won't have time for myself. Then you have to fight that and say, no, listen, my life is an act of worship, and I have to give God the best at whatever I'm going to give. Second observation is this. Now, if you haven't read ahead, this is going to shock you. Of all the observations that Malachi could have made, this is the second one. You ready for this one? You reject your spouse. What? Man, I thought you were going to talk about money all day today. Well, I did too until I read the book. All right. You reject your spouse. Now, I don't say husbands, I say spouse, because in the scripture that I'm about to read, at that time, men had all of the power to divorce their wife, uh, to be unfaithful through the wife. The wife had zero influence, zero power. Not so in our day and time. You, as a female, could have as much as leadway in divorcing your husband as the husband has. And so let's look at that through that perspective, how you reject your spouse. Malachi says, here is another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings. Who in the room has been praying so hard about stuff where you're crying, there's literally tears coming out of your face, but you say he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Here's your answer. Are you ready? Malachi says, I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's army. So guard your heart, do not be unfaithful to your wife. 
What a great excuse to go home today and have a lot of making out. I'm serious. Like the husband's like, thank you, Matt. That's awesome. Right? No, but listen, I could go a negative way and just beat everybody up. But seriously, when we go and we are uh, passionate and loving towards our spouse, when we honor them and we hug them and we kiss them and we embrace them, like I have this theory, you only squeeze the things you love. Man, I just squeeze the snot out of my little kids. I squeeze them hard. I never squeeze you. I mean, not that I don't love you, right? But it's different. Man, Jen, I just want to squeeze her, right? Never let go. She's like, stop it. No, I'm not going to stop it. The day I stop it, you better start asking some questions, right? I tell her, the day that I walk by and I don't slap you on the rear, you better start asking me some questions. I'm just telling you, right? This is me. This is me, right? Up here at home, I'm the same dude, good or bad. But man, listen, we should, this should be motivation for us to work through the difficult things to have the hard conversation, and to love our spouse. If you're not married, okay, how are you relationally? But Malachi specifically is talking about the marriage relationship. How do you, how do you forgive? How do you work through uh, uh, frustrations and hard times and say, listen, when you do those things, what you are doing is you're opening up the, the way that for, for, for your worship to be more sincere and for God to hear your prayers. I mean, what's the opposite? I mean, he says, why don't you hear my prayers? Why is my worship worthless? Because the Lord witnessed the vows that you made that you're not keeping. So if you keep those vows, and if you show respect and love to your spouse, just maybe God would go, oh, now I can hear you. Now why? Here is my observation. This is my opinion, okay? Malachi doesn't say this. This is my opinion. The reason I think this observation is accurate is because why can God trust you with this faith relationship? Where we can't see God, we don't get to feel Him, hold Him, smell Him, when we're not faithful with the person that we can hug, squeeze, smell, touch. If you're not faithful to this person that you can literally see, then why does God think that you're going to be faithful to the invisible one? Just my observation. Here's the thing. I want to love my wife as much as I can all the time. You know one of the, the main reason why? It's this scripture. Malachi says, so you have godly offspring. I want my children, I want Luke and Allie and Christy to know that daddy loves mommy, period. There is no other. There's no one better. I affirm Jen in front of them, not only to you, but I affirm them in front of my children because I'm setting the bar really high for my girls. Right? You, you people here who have sons, they're thinking the pretty little Miller twins. Yeah, listen, daddy's setting the bar really high on how a husband, how a man treats a woman. And I want Luke, you know what, to also, like I want, if you have a daughter, and my son, ask your daughter out after you pray, oh Lord, I hope that you are really glad that of all the boys that could have asked your daughter out, you got Luke Miller because he's going to treat her with respect and not just try to make out all the time, which I'm sure I'll have to beat that out of him, right? Because God had to beat it out of me, Amen. And he's beating it out of us, all those men in this room, right? Love your spouse. Second observation. The reason that Malachi says we're having a hard time is because we, we make these vows. Oh, those are just words. I didn't know I was actually... No, no, before men and God. Third observation. Now, here's the hard one. This is the money one. Malachi 3. Malachi makes this observation. You cheat God. You cheat God. Look what he says here. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? that You have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Tithes and offerings, two different things. 
a tithe is 10%. Anything over a tithe would be an offering. If you give 3.5%, that's not an offering. It's not yet a tithe. You gave something. Offering A tithe, 10%. Anything above the tithe is an offering. He says, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You were under a curse. That's kind of harsh. Man, God, ease up a little bit, Lord. Come on. He says, you were under a curse. For your whole nation has been cheating me. You say, well, my whole nation? Think about your family union. Think of your family. Uh, it's cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from the insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. If there is anything that I could, like, wave a magic wand, if there was such a thing, over us in this room and get us to simply believe and trust God in, it would be this topic of money and generosity. Because I know, the same thing that you know, most families fight over what? Money. And most of us right now in the room, we don't have financial peace in any way. We're paycheck to paycheck. We're just trying to figure it out, and it's always, especially around the holidays, when you're, somebody's going to spend way too much money on something, and you're going to be frustrated, or they're going to be frustrated, because there's not a plan, there's not a purpose, there's not a vision for what it is that you do. And my heart is that we would have, as a people, financial peace in our homes. But financial peace starts with the principle that God lays out in our Scripture. And if you're trying to get it any other way, I would say, okay, show me your plan, but show me how your plan fits into what God's Word says. Well, this is my plan. That's great. How's it working for you? How's it working for you? Um, the peace begins when you say, you know what, God, I choose not to cheat you anymore. Here's 10% of my income. This is what I make, and I'm going to give it 10%. It's not up for debate. It's not up for question. But I know, I know well, here's, here's what I want to do. I just want to show you a fun video. I told you last week if you were here, I had a fun video for you. I got a fun video for you. This is a story from one of our members at our Edgerton campus. Her name is Sherry Stearns. Let's watch this one together. I think it's a fun story. Now, here comes old snarky Matt. You ready? I know what some of you say. Matt, that insurance packet was all in the mail. It was just a big coincidence. And I would say to you, back, where's your insurance packet? Where's your packet of checks? Where, where is it? Now, I would say the second thing is this. Who did Sherry give credit to? Did she give credit to the insurance company or to God? Yeah, you know what? We saw Derek's story earlier. What Derek didn't share because he didn't know if he could or should. But like right after he chooses to write that check, and it's a big check, right? He gets another client for his foundation that he's leading, a big client. And what did Derek say afterwards? Man, I'm glad I put the work in. I'm really good. No, 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 no. Derek said, oh, my gosh. God, you were faithful. You are faithful. When you and I tithe and put God first in our life, listen, you recognize things that come back to you through the perspective of, oh my gosh, this is right from God. I remember the Cobbs. They're sitting over here. And when they began this journey with us at New City Church, Bill came to me and Mary, all of this extra work for their business they lead that's coming their way. Like, guys, here's the thing. You cannot outgive God, but yet you think you can. God will not let you be more generous. God will not let you outgive him. God just simply will not allow you to do that. But yet we say no. And he says, that's why you cheat me. And that's why you struggle. And that's why you're financially frustrated because you will not trust me with this one simple principle. Now, the fourth observation is right where it should be. It's dead last. And here's the thing. The reason that we give God a lesser offering 
The reason we reject our spouses, the reason that we reject God is because of the fourth observation. Are you ready for this one? The fourth observation that Malachi makes is this. You don't believe God. He says this to church people, by the way, not to the world. This letter, this book was written to the people of God. In the fourth observation that he makes, I didn't move the order around to make my sermon flow better. The fourth observation is that you don't believe God. Look what he says. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? God says, you have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed for those who do evil get rich and those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. Malachi's fourth observation for you and I is that you have this attitude of unbelief. You don't think God's going to get you. You don't think God's going to bless you. You don't think God's going to punish you. You simply don't think God even cares. God's not going to bless me if I give, and he's not going to spank me if I don't. I'm going to continue in this sin because so far nothing's happened to me. Why would I care? And God says, you are saying terrible things about me. You don't believe I will. And here's the thing. You got a pastor on a stage telling you now your ears better perk up and you better repent of that sin because the scripture says he is patient with your unbelief. He is patient with the direction that you walk so that you will not be embarrassed or ashamed of your behavior, of your actions. But the word of the Lord has been proclaimed. The observations have been said. Will you be a people who believe? And because you believe, God doesn't get your leftovers, He gets the best. And because you believe what God says about not hearing your prayers, you're going to reconcile with your spouse. And because uh, you've been cheating God, and because now you believe God, you're going to say, you know what, it scares me to death, but I'm going to trust God with the first 10%. If you think you're going to tithe at the end of your budget, you will never tithe. You never will. It's the first check, the best check, the first gift, the best gift. Listen, for those of you who are praying for me and for my life, I want you to be praying prayers that God actually hears. Duh. What's these observations say to you? I hope you came in prepared today to give your offering. If you didn't, I want you to think about why you didn't, why not, and what are you going to do about it? Or you can simply say, Matt, I don't really agree with Malachi. That is a fine statement to make, but I do. And this church does. Like This church, we believe. Like you say, well, I don't. Well, this church does. We believe the, the Word of God. And these observations are real observations, and they're authentic observations. Because what does God want? God wants us to win. He wants us to win. He wants our best. He wants us to actually get along with our spouse. Look what he says here on the tithing thing. I'm going to, if you, then I. I love this. If you, then I. I'm going to bless your crops, no insects, no disease, and your fruit will be ripe at the proper time. Like, I've got this, God says, if you, then I. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a great song. It's real popular on the radio right now. We've been doing it. Curtis made it famous, actually. Um, Good, good father, right? Because that's what my prayer is, that you would begin to see God as a good, good father. Not a mean, old slave driver, but a good, good father who has your best interest at heart. He's not out to punish you. He's not out to hurt you. He's out to embrace you, to love you, to guide you, to teach you, uh, to discipline us at times. Why? So that we're better than we were before. So would you guys stand with me this morning? 
And as we prepare in just a moment after this song to give our offering, may we, our first offering that we be this morning, to God through our song, saying, God, you are a, this is my confession. You are a good, good father. Let's sing and worship together.